so did the nation. If the king was evil, God's people were evil. If the king was good, God's people were good. Well, this went on for a while. We had several kings, and they all had their own problems. Nobody was perfect. Nobody could be the perfect king. See, it's easy to serve a king that you know only cares about you. It's easy to go for a king and to serve and live for a king that has your best interest at heart. But we only have imperfect examples. I mean, even King David, a man after God's own heart, cheated on his, or uh, didn't cheat on his wife, but caused a lady to cheat on her husband and then lied about it. I mean, something today that we would think, What's wrong with you, sicko? Looking at someone bathing off the top of your roof. Give me a break. That's the man that was closest to God's heart. So all we see is these imperfect examples of what a king is supposed to be. But now let's go to Matthew. Eventually, God's people were overthrown. And empires came in and took them. Uh, They went into slavery to Babylon. It's basically uh, the slavery in Egypt all over again. But eventually, God's people kept doing enough evil that their enemies overtook them. And they went through, uh, the Greeks overtook them, uh, the Babylonian Empire was a big one, and now in Matthew, we come to the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is now in control over God's people and over God's land. If you look in your Bible, and if you go from the Old Testament map to the New Testament map, Canaan and where Jesus was, same territory, same place. God's people, it's not based on a geographical location. It's about, are the people doing what I've called them to do? And in Matthew chapter 2, throw it up there real quick, chapter 2, verse 1, we know some wise men are in town. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, I love how they just go ahead and let you know there's a king in place. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, verse 2, saying, where is he who has been born what? King of the Jews. They didn't say, where is this new religious leader? They didn't say, uh, where is the guy that's going to save us and take us to heaven? They said, where is he born the king of the Jews? They were looking for a king. A king is what they were looking for. Why? Because they are a nation of people trying to find their leader. Okay? They are looking for the king of the Jews. John chapter 18. Real quick, I already told you that Jesus, all that he talked about was the kingdom. That's all he talked about. I mean, read it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is kingdom in there over 150 times. He's talking about a kingdom. He's talking about a government. Did you know that God was about government? Did you know that God's answer for this world is government? That sounds so weird because we've seen so many corrupt governments. Uh, The government we have in place today is so imperfect, it's not even funny. Economics are all over the place. Government standards are out of whack. We got people voting to put God out of schools. But yeah, we can open up as many abortion clinics as we want. It's backwards. The system is backwards because there's a different God in the world. This whole system is garbage. And that's all we have to look at. But if we understood God's government, we would know that that's the answer. Because here's what a government is. A government is just a rule of set principles that people live by. That's government. 
And if you live according to this, he already said, obey my word, obey my commands, heed my voice, and I will go before you and take care of your enemies. I will provide for you everything that you need to live and to do my will and your purpose in the earth. That's government. But we we have a problem with that because we all we see is failure. We see dictatorships. Uh, we see uh, monarchies that went bad. We see uh, kingdoms that aren't even what kingdoms really are. Today, a kingdom is not what it used to be. Uh, we see democracies and republics. It's just, just terrible. They don't have people's best interests at heart. They have their interests at heart. And they say they work for the people. You know, our motto in this country is one nation under God. And in recent years, we're trying to get rid of the under God. Ronald Reagan had a quote that said, A nation, if you are not one nation under God, then you are a nation gone under. We need more presidents like Ronald Reagan. You need to look at the stuff that he said and the, the, the biblical beliefs that he brought into government. That's what we need. And that's what the kingdom's all about. The kingdom of God is about going into those systems and infiltrating them from the inside and getting the kingdom in there. I've told you a million times, a million times, and I can say it again. Tim Tebow is doing the kingdom. He has gone into a system that is broken, where you see people failing. You see people getting uh, overrun by money. You see people getting to fame too quickly. You see people shooting people and going to jail. And he goes into the system, and instead of the system changing him, he's going in and changing the system. He says, I will win regardless of my points. I will win regardless of my stats. I will win regardless of what the score was three minutes ago. And I will give all the glory to God. I will take the money and the finance that I receive from it and put it overseas into other countries where they need it. I will build hospitals and orphanages. I will give them to missions. He's seeking the kingdom of God. That's what the kingdom is about. We need government people to go do that. We need a president that's spirit-filled that can get in there and say, you know what, I don't know what we're going to do about this situation, but let's all get around this thing and pray and get what the Holy Spirit wants to do about this situation. Don't bring me your legalities and your legalism and and your your rules and your code. Let's get someone filled with the Spirit that can hear from God because God knows everything. Why don't we talk to the man that already knows what to do? Why don't we talk to the person that knew how to get out of the problem before we got into the problem. I mean, the economy, garbage. Healthcare, garbage. Why don't we get people in there to fix these systems? Entertainment, garbage. Can't even watch a PG-13 movie without hearing something that I ought to hear or see in a R movie. I mean, give me a break. Where do I need to go? guess I just got to stay in the Word more. guess it's just pushing me to just stay in the Bible. No F-bombs in there. I'm telling you. The systems of the world need us. This is why we're here. John chapter 18, verse 33. <clears throat> this is Jesus, and he's talking to a governor. He's talking to a public Royal official. He's not talking to a religious person. He's talking to a government official, a political leader. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again 
called Jesus and said to him, Are you king of the Jews? Verse 34. Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you concerning it? He's like, are you fig- have you figured it out on your own that I'm a king? Or are you just going off of what everyone else is saying? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own, your own people group and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Now, isn't that weird? The guy who's supposed to be sentencing him is asking him, what has he done? Usually they know. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. Did he deny being a king? No. Did he deny having a kingdom? No. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly, I am a king. And for this cause, I was born. For this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Jesus did not come to die on the cross so we could just accept him as our Savior and just wait to get to heaven one day. That is a byproduct. That, is, that will come. But he came not to, bring, to take something out, but he came to bring something in the kingdom of God. To reinstate, to reestablish, to restore the kingdom to the earth. What Adam and Eve lost, the dominion, the authority, everything Jesus did had to do with what Adam and Eve lost. The dominion over animals. He showed it. The dominion over the earth. He's cursing fig trees and they're dying. He's telling storms to stop. He's walking on water. That's called dominion over the earth. He had dominion over uh, darkness, casting out demons. He had dominion over sickness and disease. Any hindrance that Jesus came across that he could not do? Anything? No. He came saying, look, I am what God wanted in the earth. When I say follow Jesus, and when he said follow me, he didn't mean walk around and be nice to people and be compassionate and and have a soft heart. He didn't even mean win the lost. Jesus didn't save anybody. Now, yes, you have to get people saved because that's how you get into the kingdom. But the only time he talked about salvation or being born again was to one man in the middle of the night, a man named Nicodemus, who already was a religious person. He wasn't trying to get him saved. He was a religious leader. He already knew about the word. He already knew about God. He already knew who God was. And so Nicodemus shows up and he says, man, the the things you're doing, they, they have to be of God, what you're doing. And Jesus says, oh, yeah, you think you know about the things of God? You can't even see the kingdom unless you're born again. You can't even see it. Forget about being in it. You can't even, be, you can't even see it. So, yes, you have to be born again. But we have stopped at Jesus. But Jesus didn't stop at Jesus. What, did Jesus preach the gospel of Jesus? Yet that's all we preach. I watched a debate. I watched a debate between two megachurch pastors this past weekend that they recorded last year. One of them 
he's more of an evangelistic type preacher, and he, he preaches in his church. He's 10,000 people, six different campuses in one city. Uh, he's won, I think, 15,000 people to the Lord in the last five years. Planted his church in 2006, and there are over 10,000 people. Exciting stuff. But the other pastor is, is accusing him of not preaching the word and growing his people up. Because he preaches the gospel of Jesus in every message. Basically gives a big altar call every Sunday and every Wednesday. Look, you have to have altar calls. And people need to be born again. And people need to come in the kingdom. But my heart, and a true pastor's heart, a true pastor's heart, is to grow people up. Is to get you in the kingdom, and now get you living the kingdom. See, Jesus himself called himself a door. Jesus called himself a doorway. Do not invite me to your house and make me stand at the door. Hey, thanks for coming up. Thanks for coming over. Let's just stay right there. The food is inside. The company is inside. The warmth is inside. And we've been inviting people to the kingdom and then leaving them at the door. Here's Jesus. Here's the cross. I'm not devaluing the cross. The cross is just as important to me as to anybody else. But I know why the cross is there. The cross is to get me to go somewhere else, not to get me to stay there. Not doing it. Worship song. I mean... Worship song I just heard this last week that said, uh, I need you to soften my heart. Break me apart. Why does he need to break you apart? He's, you understand, people talk in past tense. Or, or, or people talk in future tense of what Jesus has already put in past tense. They act like Jesus has to keep cleansing you, keep cleaning you. The word says that he has made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that when I ask Jesus to come into my life, God comes and dwells within me. His spirit lives within me. You can't get any closer to God than him living inside you. In fact, you have God living closer to you than Adam and Eve had. We have something better. See, Adam and Eve were placed in the garden. They didn't have a choice. The Bible says he placed them in the garden. But we have a choice, and we were bought and paid for. We were bought and paid for. That means that there's a price and a value on us. Adam and Eve were not bought and paid for. They were just placed there. So, I mean, we, just, we have to get this. And I'm hearing more and more, look, I'm sure I could blow this place up. If I preach what half the preachers are preaching. Because everybody would love to hear that all you need is Jesus. And, you know, if you sin, you know, just keep on asking him to forgive you. And nobody's telling you, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you to actually do it right next time. Sure. That's, that makes my flesh feel good. I remember, real quick. I remember I, I was in my I was in between my first and second year of Bible school, and I was doing a, uh, a, a youth convention that summer, and I, I played drums, and so I was uh, in the band, and we were playing. And afterwards, one of the pastors in town, it was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, one of the pastors came up to me and said, "Man, you're you're a phenomenal drummer. We we really need a drummer. Would you want to come to our church and play?" 
I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm attending a church. He says, well, we meet on Saturday nights in the library at the mall. I said, okay, I'll come, I'll come check it out. And so I went to the first service. And all it was, the whole service, he called himself a pastor and he called this a church. All it was was one big worship service. They just sang songs. And they, uh, you know, just had a big emotional worship fest, which there ain't nothing wrong with that. First, first service, I was like, okay, this is cool. You know, and I got to play the drums a lot. That was awesome. You know, it wasn't just four songs and you're done. It was, you know, we played the whole night. And, and then they did this prayer thing at the end, and people were, God, you know, meet us. God, we need you. We need you to cleanse us. God, take all the sin out. God, get rid of the junk. We, we just want to be used for your purpose. We know we're imperfect. We know we're failures, but we know that we can, with you, we can, we can do what's right. So I'm like, okay, what, did everyone just have a massive sin fest last night, and we just have to come bring all that to the Lord? What's going on? So I did one night. Went the next weekend. Same exact thing. It's like, what did you do in the last seven days that you ruined everything, that whole fest that you had last Saturday? I mean, we already asked Jesus to cleanse us. Why, why are we asking, why are we getting on our face and getting in front of a wall and having this big emotional, God, I need you, and I, I need you in my life, and I'm no good without you, and just this big emotional time? I was like, okay. Went the third time. Same exact thing. Nobody preached. We played like eight to ten songs. Same emotional thing. Same emotional junk. Nobody's building anybody up. And I'm asking myself, why isn't the dude going up there and saying, we have Jesus Christ living inside of us right now. You don't have to keep sinning. You don't have to keep doing this. You don't have to keep coming back here every Saturday and and." Jacking your life up Monday through Friday and then having to come here and try to fix it all just to blow it all apart next week. I mean, Paul established the Corinthian church. And in four to seven years, he established it, stayed there, pastored it, left, put it in the hands of Apollos, a man named Apollos. Four to seven years later, he comes back to the same church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, I wish that I could talk to you as spiritual people. And I ought to be able to talk to you as spiritual people. But I can't. Because for some reason, you are still an immature baby in Christ. So somewhere in between four to seven years, Paul is expecting them to have grown up. And they were arguing with each other. They were backbiting. They were gossiping. Fornication was taking place in the church. And he's saying, what are you doing? Something has to change. This isn't about just accepting Jesus in my life and making me feel better so I can get to heaven one day. This is about bringing Jesus into my life, making him the Lord of my life. Most people don't even know what that means. What does it mean to make someone Lord? That means he gets control. That means he dictates. He calls the shots. If he tells you to go there, you go there. If he tells you to spend your money on that, you spend your money on that. If he tells you to give this away, you give it away. That's what a Lord does. A Lord has given you resources. He's given you time. He's given you money. He's given you materials. That, not for you. And so that's what the kingdom is about. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 
God is not trying to get everybody clued in on what heaven's like and let's just one day get them all there. That's not what Paul was looking for. Paul was saying there's got to be something about your character that's different. There's got to be something about your lifestyle that's different. There's got to be something about the way you talk to people that's different. There's got to be something about the way you act that's different. There's got to be something that's different about the things that you watch and the things that you listen to and the things that you take in and the people you hang out with. There's got to be something different. That's what the children of Israel are having such a problem with. Going into the Philistine territory and falling into their gods. That's what happened to Samson. That's why he got his eyes plucked out and lost all his hair. Got hooked up with the Philistine woman. The Philistines are the enemy. He's supposed to be rescuing his people from the Philistines. Instead, he decides to get with someone on the outside. You know, she looks good. Let's hook up. Let's do that thing. And invites sin into his life. Don't tell me relationships don't bring sin into your life. Don't try to get better and be better as a person and hang out with the same old people that are cussing and telling you to do what you used to do and, hey, drink this and, hey, smoke this and, hey, let's go see this and, hey, let's listen to this. Get away from them. Cut it off. Get away from those people. They're not going to do it. They're not going to change you. They're not going to change your life. Verse Peter 2, chapter 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is what Jesus came to do, to get his people back. He did not come to bring Christianity. You won't see Jesus talking about, you got to be a Christian. You need to be a Christian one day. A Christian is a person that lives like Christ. So you either live like it or don't. And if you don't, then don't call yourself a Christian. Call yourself something else. Call yourself trying to be a Christian or want to be a Christian or one day will be a Christian. Whatever. But a Christian is a Christ-like person. Well, Jesus was perfect. No one could ever be perfect. That's not what he's asking you. Perfect means mature. And Paul used the word perfect. Don't crucify me and say you can be perfect. Perfect means mature. Perfect simply means I know I should do that, but you know what? I'm choosing not to do that, and I'm going to do this. And if I fail, you won't hear me say a lot about failure. You won't. And I'm not negating the fact that people fail, and I'm definitely not trying to paint a picture that I'm the perfect person in the world and I never fail. But I don't talk about it. You know why? Because everybody in the world wants to tell you you're a failure. You don't need me on Sunday and Wednesday coming here to hear an encouraging, edifying word talking about failure. I don't talk about failure. I don't negate the fact that we fail, but I don't focus on it. I focus on you are a chosen generation. You are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. Proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. He called you. Past tense. It happened over here. You are now in the light. It says that he's transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. Past tense. We got Christians and believers trying to live out something that's already been done. So just do it. And we keep uh, we, we, we keep allowing people to fail. We keep allowing people to, to mess up. And we just keep giving them more rope. One day the rope, look, when I give people rope, it's either going to pull you in or it's going to hang you. One day. So we'll get a hold of the rope and get pulled in and 
Let's do this thing. Last verse, Revelation chapter 1. I've gotten more bold every week with this message because it seems like I'm hearing stuff throughout the week that's just setting me up for today. You wouldn't imagine the stuff that I've watched and listened to from other pastors that have, I wish I had the congregation they had. But here's the problem. If I had 10,000 people sitting in front of me right now and I'm preaching what I'm preaching to you, I probably would be left with about 100 Because the other 9,900 want to hear that their flesh is weak and they're going to sin and you're going to do that, but God loves you anyways. Look at Jesus' percentage. He had multitudes following him. When he went to the cross, how many were with him? Zero. So if I get one, I'm doing better than Jesus. (laughs) One, chapter five. And from Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler. It talks about him as a ruler, not a religious leader. If he's just a religious leader, he's no better than Muhammad. He's no better than Buddha. He's a political figure, the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us, past tense, washed us from our sins in his own blood, verse 6, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. Right now, I am talking to royalty. You are royalty. You are royalty. You are a king. You are a priest. You are in a kingdom. And you rule and have dominion. You are royalty. If you didn't feel like royalty before you came in, you ought to when you go out. Because you are royalty. That's how God sees you. God sees you as having never messed up. I just wonder what God's face looks like when he hears people say, just cleanse me of my sin. I, I, I just, I'm not worthy. and I, I just can't seem to get it right, but just make me new. I want to see his face. When, I mean, you're, you're just almost slapping him in the face saying, I sent my son to die for you on a cross He went through the most torture anyone has ever endured in their entire life. And you want to sit there and recount to me sins and past failures that I have wiped away. Are you telling me the cross is not enough? Are you telling me his bloodshed wasn't enough? Are you telling me the beats in the face wasn't enough? Are you telling me the stripes on his back wasn't enough? What part of what he did was not enough to make you right in the kingdom of God? has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, I thank you for this word this morning. I thank you that it has been ingrained in people's minds and people's hearts, Father. I thank you that it will take root. Father, I thank you those that are here, uh, if they need to hear it again, they will get the CD, they will go online, uh, they will recover their notes, whatever they need to do to go back over this message so we can get our mentality aligned with who we really are. Father, we no longer go off of man-made traditions and man-made mentality.